Hello everyone, I'm Kate Bullen Casanova and welcome to the Future Feminist Podcast. This is the space for conversation with parents, teachers, friends and extended families in all their diversities. This week I'm excited to be chatting with Catherine of the feminist parenting blog Think All Blue. Catherine and I share our experiences of parenting three-year-old females, dealing with the onslaught of princess culture and learning to allow our girls to express their anger in a healthy way. It takes a village to raise a feminist child. So welcome to the village, friends. Hi, Catherine. Thank you for joining me today on the Future Feminist Podcast. Hi, Kate. It's so great to be here. I just love listening to your podcast. Oh, well, thank you. And thanks so much for joining me. Um, I was just wondering, could you please start by introducing yourself? Absolutely. I'm Catherine from Thinker Blue, and... Um, I live in Connecticut, which is uh, right in between Boston and New York for your international listeners. (laughs) Um, And I live with my husband and my daughter, who's three. And I'm a a longtime feminist. I work in women's advocacy and policy. And um, a couple years ago, I got so frustrated with the gender stereotypes that are shoved onto children at such a young age even when they're in the womb, that I felt like I needed to do something about it. So I founded Thinker Blue first as sort of a blog just for me to get all my thoughts out and do a little ranting once in a while. And then it evolved into something where I felt like this was a growing concern among parents and really wanted to provide more resources and tools so that parent, not only parents, but family members you know, grandparents, aunts and uncles, and even educators have tools to help them um, to combat gender stereotypes so that we can raise kids who embrace their individuality and embrace who they are. Well, thank you so much. So we were just saying before we started recording that Catherine, um, Catherine's daughter and my daughter are about the same age, so both born 2015 and saying how... Um, you know, possibly we are facing similar challenges with this age group and in particular raising females. Um, And I think the first one that really springs to mind from this particular age group is birthday parties and in particular this princess culture. Um, And the thing that really got me thinking about this was you've got a blog post on your website, Think or Blue, about will Meghan Markle change princess culture? And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Perhaps, maybe for people that aren't quite familiar with the term princess culture, um, could you perhaps just do a little bit of a breakdown for people by what, what we really mean when we say that? Sure. This is a topic that I first learned about from uh, Peggy Orenstein, And I read her book, um, um, I think it's, oh, The Princess Ate My Daughter. Oh, no, Cinderella Ate My Daughter. Anyway, I'll get you the exact title later for your show notes. Um, And I read this years and years ago before I was even thinking about having kids. And um, because I studied gender and communications in college. And it really stuck with me because I saw it happening even before I had children. Um, And princess culture really is, you know, kind of happened in the 1990s, at least in the U.S., was when it was very popularized um, through the kind of um, resurgence of new Disney movies like Beauty and the Beast, 
um, Aladdin and that kind of genre of um, that era of Disney movies. And, um, you know, Disney learned that they could make a fortune on kids. And so there was this very, I'd call it vigorous marketing campaign <laughs> to, um, you know, they, they learned they could not only promote their movies, but they could make plates and pajamas and, you know, strollers and I mean, anything you could think of cups and water bottles and um, anything that's made for a kid, you know, could have additional marketing on it with characters. And so um, it became, it became a culture. So um, all of a sudden, you know, you couldn't go to a toy store without seeing some type of character on it. Things were no longer red, yellow, and blue. Um, I remember trying to pick out beach chairs for my niece and nephew about, you know, 12 or 13 years ago. And I was shocked when I couldn't just find solid colors. Like, what yeah. is the deal? And it had, you know, everything had a character on it. So along with this vigorous marketing came um, this whole trend in play. So girls were pretty, um, you know, straightforward getting this message that um, princesses were who they wanted to be and who they should emulate. So it became very much their, um, you know, a basis for imaginative play as well. Um, so, you know, on the surface, that might not sound like such a terrible thing to people, right? Um, but when you dig deeper into what princess culture is, um, it's, you know, uh, this way of imaginary play that's very heavily dependent upon um, a certain way of looking, one's appearance, um, who she is, has a love interest with, uh, always a man, and, um, you know, how, uh, how they might be sort of beating the odds together to have this relationship. There's often this component of uh, saving the woman somehow. And, you know, a lot of times she doesn't have a ton of her own independence or interests. So, um, you know, again, it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like very harmful play at first. But when this is the only thing that's being presented to our girls, it's no longer an option and something that had become forced on them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we think of the, you know, at worst, we've got a character like Ariel who literally has to give up her voice. Exactly. Order, how did like how did that get through production? How did that how did they have that production meeting? This is what's gonna happen. Um I know. And I mean, I guess I know it was it was based on like a Hans Christian Anderson tale or something like that. But you know, even in the nineties, when they sat down to make that movie, you just think, how did that possibly get through um production? I mean, you touched on, you know, a couple yeah. of the really um, the issues that I have with princess culture is that it's all about people pleasing. It's about the girl's role in life and, you know, their father's expectations, like in Aladdin, the father mm -hmm. wants her to get married, like that. As you said, it's based on how they look. Um, mm -hmm. They don't have any opinions or agency of their own. Um, and also actually something that, you know, I hadn't thought about, you just said then, is their love interest is always a man. So it's that really heteronormative approach there. Um, Actually, also Absolutely. something is that one of the really glaring things about princess culture is that they are all white. 
Yes, thank you for mentioning that. I was just going to bring that up. It's this very... Jasmine Aladdin is very Americanized and her mm -hmm. skin is very light and her features are very Westernized. So it's um, this really, it's this one, it's this one portrayal. Um, Absolutely. Do you think that we've seen significant progress in the last few years with development of characters like Moana or Elsa? Mm -hmm. um, what, do, what do you think? Do you think there's been enough progress so far? I think we are inching there at a snail's pace. Um, Frozen was, I think, uh, I hesitate to say groundbreaking because that's too strong of a word, but it was, it was a different perspective in the sense that uh, romantic love was not the center of these girls' story. Um, so that was, that was unusual. And, you know, Moana is certainly a, a step in the right direction um, for, you know, a similar reason and for, you know, not fitting that standard westernized white thin uh, standard of beauty. So we're getting there, Kate, but really it is just too slow um, because even when it comes to uh, the Pixar movies that are gaining so much popularity, um, they're slow to develop too. There's still very um, male-centered plots most of the time. Yeah, um, and I think even in, um, I totally agree with you, and even in Disney films or Pixar films that are, all the characters are animals, um, they are still boy animals. <laughs> and or lions or something like that that doesn't actually really doesn't get away from the fact that you know they're still perpetuating these boy lines and girl lines um and I love the way that you talked about the merchant the ability to merchandise and make money off of this princess culture um and one of the things that I'm really noticing as my daughter is getting more invited to more and more birthday parties is um, themed birthday parties. And we went to a frozen birthday party um, and it was, it was quite a difficult experience for me. Um, and there was, and there were these lovely little paper crowns, which all the girls were invited to wear and one of the boys from Eleanor's daycare centre asked if he could wear a crown. And the mother said, well, the crowns are actually really just for the girls. Oh, geez. That is so disappointing. I'd already been there for like three hours and I could just feel my, my blood pressure rising. And I just <sighs> grabbed some of the paper crowns and went, everybody can wear a crown, darling. And I put it on this little boy's head and he was just like, <laughs> happy but obviously really ideally backtracking after three hours of a rising blood pressure I really should or have or could have said something a bit earlier and that kind of sits uncomfortably with me so I wanted to mm -hmm. know uh, what experiences you might have had at birthday parties so far with your daughter and um, you know how how you might have navigated that situation what can I do next time mm-hmm that's a great question. And, you know, we've been pretty fortunate in the sense that um, most of the birthday parties uh, my kiddo has been invited to so far have been either themed in um, 
you know, sort of being physical, like at a little kid's gym type of a thing where there's just, you know, parachutes and jumping in ball pits. Um, or, you know, her, uh, we have good friends who I think we get along with well for a reason because we share a lot of the same values and um, their daughter had a uh, science-themed party at the Science Center recently. And yeah, last year it was all about space. So we love that, but I know that not every family is like that. Um, certainly, and kids can make their own choices about what they like. Um, I've been sort of dreading, you know, this, the princess phase coming on for a while now. And, you know, we purposely, um, I don't introduce it in our home because I know she's going to be exposed to it sooner or later anyway. So um, my three-year-old doesn't even know who Elsa and Anna are or what Frozen is um, because I know she'll learn eventually. Um, but, you know, so I think for us though, at you know, at her preschool, they have uh, dress up clothes of all kinds. And when I see her, you know, pictures of her putting on the gowns, at first I got a little twinges of kind of annoyance and um, frustration because I didn't know whether the teachers were suggesting that she put those on or whether it was her free choice. It's so hard to know when you're not there. Um, and, you know, but what I, what I realized is and what I try to take a step back to do is acknowledge that um, the princess phase is usually a phase. It is somewhat foisted upon our young girls. And to some extent, it's very hard for them to escape it. Um, so while I'm going to do my best and continue to do my best to introduce her to a wide range of interests and keep on promoting the ones um, that she likes that are um, as I said, diverse, you know, she loves planes right now. So we're really encouraging that type of play. Um, you know, if she continuously asks for princess toys, I'm not going to deny it to her because what, what I come back to is that, um, if your child is sort of embodying the traditional gender stereotypes at this moment, that doesn't mean you failed as a feminist parent. And I actually wrote about this on the blog. You know, it doesn't mean that it's not working. It doesn't mean that kids are uh, inherently sort of biologically predisposed to like pink or to like trucks. It just mean that, means that socialization is and, you know, marketing are such powers, such forces of nature, <laughs> such huge powers that they may take over for a little while. And that's okay. Because if we continue as parents to diverse them to a, introduce them to a wide range of toys and books and activities, um, they will come out from it on the other end with, you know, a wider view of the world. Yeah, I think, um, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, um, one of the things that I encounter when I maybe say that I'm a feminine parent or speak about feminism and that kind of thing is that kind of perception that that means that I am, I'm, I'm not allowing princess culture in the house in any way and therefore I'm denying her in some way, right? Like you said, my daughter is super into twirly dresses at the moment. That's yes. awesome. That just because, um, you know, I'm doing my best to do parenting in a feminist way does not mean that I'm not going to allow her to wear dresses. Right. It, for me, it means that my son, he wants to wear a dress. He gets to wear one too. It doesn't mean right. that every, it doesn't mean that I just like neutralize and, you know, they both wear those awful 
gender neutral clothes which like <laughs> great um, uh, so, um that's one of the things that I come up against is you know that doesn't mean I'm less of a feminist for allowing her to wear the pink sparkly fairy wings right. because right. allowing her to wear pink pink sparkly fairy wings and play with a truck at the same time mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so it's all of those it's all of those things together yeah absolutely and you know drawing upon what you said I think it's a lot easier to be a feminist parent with a daughter and to um help her to be exposed to trucks and dolls and twirly dresses whereas it's still not as widely accepted for boys to be interested in all activities and all interests. Um, Adults are probably the worst at policing children. And so other peers pick up on that and then they police our own children. So, you know, and plus they they get to this age where they um, start to learn these sort of quote rules about what it means to be a boy and what it means to be a girl because they're you know they're learning gender for the first time around this age um and they like to put things in boxes and categorize you know um and that's okay but we do have this responsibility as parents to make sure that their options are wider than that and that our boys get to play with anything they want you know it's funny there was this um twitter conversation that i was a part of a couple weeks ago and someone said I was in the toy store and I saw this um, boy reach for um, a My Little Pony or something like that. And his father swiped it out of his hand and said, why are you always picking girly toys? That's not for you. And this parent, this poor, uh, you know, observer standing there feeling helpless, not knowing what to do thinking, is it really my place to interfere? Like, what would I even say? And so she asked for suggestions on Twitter. And in case this happens, you know, to any of your listeners, what I would do is um, pretty much ignore the parent. I would go over to the child and say, oh, my nephew Jimmy really loves My Little Ponies too. That looks fun. Because then you are giving the child an example of another boy who likes that toy. So it's normalizing it. It's saying, this is okay to be this way. It's okay to like that toy. Um, And it's sending a message to the adult without having to be confrontational um, and just giving a little bit of support to that child in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. I've also done the thing in an aisle in a shop in a similar situation where I've got my children with me and they're looking at toys and the child next to us is also looking at the same toys. Um, and in a situation where a parent said, where that parent says to their child, no, that's not for you. That's for girls or something like that. I might not, not interact with them in any way, but I'll just say to my kids, um, just say something like, look at all these toys. Are these toys so great? And, oh, that one's got sparkles or, you know, whatever. Be really descriptive. Um, and I'm saying, and, and everybody's allowed to play with all kinds of toys, aren't they? <laughs> and I'm really, like, making sure that I'm getting the message to my children and hoping that the other child overhears. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the only tactic I've come up with so far. Yeah, um, that one works too. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if it's working so far. Um 
but um, yes. I sometimes so I sometimes um, like to stay at my kids' daycare and read some books with the kids for a while, which is really nice. nice. Um, and you know, we read a lot of different books and things like that. And it's nice to kind of subtly question what the other kids uh, have got assumptions about. Obviously, they're getting it from their parents. Um, of you know, a little boy brought a book up to me yesterday and was like, "Oh, will you read this one?" Um, and I was like, "Yeah, sure." La la. It was about trucks or dinosaurs or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, and I was like, "Oh, this is a great book." La 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 la. That kind of thing. <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, it's a really it's a boys' book." And I was like, "Oh, okay. Um, well, you know." I think it's kind of an everybody book, isn't it? <laughs> you see the look on their faces because they obviously haven't had however many years of brainwashing. Um, they're kind of like, yeah, you're right. Maybe it is just an everybody book. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully they go to their parents and say, oh, well, Ellie's mum was reading with us today and she said that this is an everybody book. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Um, I really like when uh, when we were talking about Frozen just then, and how you said that Frozen, you know, kind of groundbreaking, but also kind of not groundbreaking. Um, <laughs> in the fact that I really like one of the lines from it is, you can't marry a man you just met. <laughs> <laughs> Great advice, really. <laughs> um, but in that moment, Elsa is being so determined and so, you know, Elsa gets mad. Elsa gets really cross in that movie. <laughs> and and I I really liked that and it's a nice um it's a nice way to move on to the second thing that I wanted to make sure that I spoke to you about, mm. which is girls and anger. Oh yes. I, yeah. Um so you've got a blog post about um a great blog post about girls and anger. And this is something that I really wanted to talk about because this is something that I'm personally dealing with at the moment with my three year old. Um, she's become very angry recently. Um, and I was wondering if we could go in, if we could dive into this a little bit and really talk about, you know, bucking this, you know, one of the things about princess culture is that girls have to be palatable and nice and, Mm -hmm. you know, follow the rules and be polite and that kind of thing. And if Mm a man, if a man is angry, then they obviously have some kind of good reason to be angry. Of course. Um, or if a boy is angry, then they're just being a boy. So let's talk Absolutely. about your blog post. And um, if you just want to maybe give a bit of a background to what led you to write this blog post. Sure, definitely. Well, it's funny. I was actually um, in the movies watching the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary called RBG. Um which was wonderful for a lot of reasons, but I had to laugh because she was telling in an interview, telling about some of the advice that her mother had given her when she was younger. So, um, so clearly there's a generation divide here, but um, when she was younger, her, her mom had given her two pieces of advice and one of them was never in anger. And I thought this was so interesting because we could see this in Justice Ginsburg life. Um, she really hasn't done anything, not much out of anger. She's very deliberate and precise and strategic. And that's wonderful for her. Um, But I left the theater thinking, you know what? We live in a time right now where people are angry. 
because uh, we have maybe a political system that's not pleasing to everyone. And we have these very divided gender roles and, you know, racism that continues, et cetera, many different kinds of oppression. So you know what? It's okay to be angry. And I want my daughter to feel like she can be angry for the reason, some of the reasons you listed. You know, I've also written why I don't want her to be um, polite. I want her to have manners, but I don't want her to be polite. Um, being nice is very different from being kind. So I have this weird sort of shuddering reaction when people say, be nice. I just go, Ugh. because it's, yeah, we say that. <laughs> I don't say the word nice. I know, I hate it. Is, uh, it's just, I have a whole blog post about this, actually. I actually just really profoundly think that the word nice is a really lazy word. That it there is. is always, do you mean kind? Do you mean, if you say that's a nice drawing, do you mean that's colourful, that's creative? Right. If you mean that's nice, do you mean that was good sharing? Like, nice means so many other things. Exactly. It's very generic and boring, just like pretty. So I try to stay away from those words. Yeah, as you said, and use something a little more descriptive. So, you know, and for us, when my child's hit, well, really 18 months or maybe two is when um, I started to see more anger in her. So her big emotions started a little bit earlier on. And, um, but I was keenly aware that I didn't want to stifle all of her anger because anger can have wonderful uses. Um, it helps us create rallies and make political change and run for office and all those wonderful things. Um, and uh, so I was faced with this decision of how to handle a, a two-year-old with these big, huge emotions who was doing some hitting and kicking and that was not okay. So um, what we worked on as sort of a respectful parenting technique is acknowledging the emotion that she is experiencing and helping her to name that emotion. And really, we need to do this with every child. Um, so if I see her getting upset, I'll say, wow, you seem very angry right now. And even sometimes I'll act it out with her, you know, um, I'm angry so that she can use that tone of voice a little bit to get out those, those words and those feelings. Um, so we have, you know, one of our favorite books is Hands Are Not For Hitting. And it has all these wonderful suggestions for what kids can do um, when they feel upset or mad or angry. Because still I was noticing that mad and angry were words she was not tending to use as much. And I think she may have picked up on this from school and from, you know, other caregivers that they would say, you know, oh, are you, you know, are you getting upset? So she was identifying with the word upset. But I wanted her to know what anger and madness feel like, because when she's feeling them, she needs to find some kind of outlet for them. So we actually practice when she's calm, things that she can do to get out that anger. So she can, you know, go up to a kitchen wall and just push upon it with all her might. Um, you know, we uh, squeeze pillows really hard or occasionally yell into a pillow um, because I don't want her to feel that anger is wrong. Um, our our teen girls, our preteen and teen girls, um, often do not find an outlet for their anger. They are, they have not learned that they can be angry. And so when they have those big feelings, they're internalizing it and doing other things with it. It's turning into anxiety. It's turning into eating disorders, um, depression, and many, many other things that we don't wish on our children. 
So um, that was kind of a long answer to your question, but I do think that ang- it's very critical for us to help name anger in our girls. Yeah, definitely. And um, actually what really leaps out at me when you're saying about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's mum telling her, you know, not to do anything out of anger is for me, it's, it kind of, it reminds me of those people who maybe they don't vote because they feel like the thing that, that it doesn't affect them. It's mm-hmm. actually a really privileged position to mm-hmm. choose not to be angry. So if something doesn't affect you, then, you know, you're, you're not going to feel angry about it. So, you know, we've seen this with the Trump election is there was a lot of, a lot of commentary coming out of that of why are so many more people angry? Why are so many more women angry about this? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I read a really, really interesting article, which I am going to find and link in the show notes by a black woman who was saying women are vote white women are now suddenly voting like their lives depend on it <laughs> and they're now suddenly feeling this anger that mm-hmm. women who are black indigenous or of color have been mm-hmm. feeling for forever for, yeah, forever their whole lives um and this anger thing like you mentioned it does have a race element to it in terms of like you Absolutely. mentioned this real misogynoir about the angry black women trope. Absolutely. So, yeah, and like the Serena Williams, um, the Serena mm-hmm. Williams character. Um, I mean, I'm sure that we've Ugh. all seen the of the cartoon of her smashing <sighs> her rack. And it wasn't only enough for the cartoonist to emphasize her black features. Mm-hmm. It was also she read the cartoonist really whitewashed the other opponent um, is actually a woman of color but to make Mm -hmm. that really deliberately racist point against Serena Williams they felt like they had to whitewash this Mm -hmm. other the quote um, victim the victim in this situation yeah (laughs) exactly um so I'm wondering how um you know how I can I really like what you say about legitimizing the the feeling of our daughters as naming why they're angry. And for me, when this shows up in my living room, is I can say to Eleanor, "You're feeling angry. Like, are you feeling angry? And right. why are you feeling angry? Let's talk about that. You're feeling angry because Rue took your toy from you." Mm-hmm. And then she says. Yes, he took my toy from me. And I'm saying, okay, so you're feeling angry about that. And that's fine. And I understand that you're feeling angry about that. But it's turning that into, like you said, but hands are not for hitting. And (laughs) anger is this feeling that we have, but it's never okay to hit somebody. It's never okay to to pull that anger out, um, Mm -hmm. to put that anger physically out on somebody else. But... Um, but it is okay to feel, and it is normal to feel that anger. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually, something that I really had to kind of translate this to my kids was when we went to um, January twenty sixth um, in Australia is Australia Day, um, which marks when the first fleet arrived in Australia. 
and that it's a day of celebration. When actually for me and for, for my family and for many other people, we, and there is a growing number of families in Australia who recognise that there is nothing to celebrate about Australia Day. And so uh, we went to the Australia, we went to the Invasion Day, because that's what it is. It's uh, marking the anniversary of the invasion um, and genocide that happened following that. And we went to that march. And so I had to try and translate to my daughter why all these people were shouting and protesting mm -hmm. and, um, you know, why that was okay to shout and protest and have signs and that kind of thing. And because we're legitimately angry about something, but it's not okay to shout and push and, um, <laughs> yeah. How, what have you found in how we can legitimize some anger and, redirect other anger when it's mm -hmm. how do you distinguish between real proper anger we're angry about something and we have a right to be angry about something and when we maybe when it's not okay yeah well I think the short answer is it's always okay to be angry um, it's what we do with it that matters so how are we channeling that anger? Even if it's for a silly, silly reason. So for our three-year-olds, it might be because they didn't get the red cup and they got the blue cup instead. So is that something to be angry about? Of course not. But for a three-year-old, maybe it is. Um, so it's always okay to be angry and it's what we do with it. So a very common phrase that we've used in our house is, um, I have you know, kind of this mantra of, it's okay to be angry. It is not okay to hit me. So it's something we say often, um, but, you know, I'm really glad that you brought up uh, Serena Williams and the, um, you know, the racism that we have towards black women who express anger because, you know, we're teaching our children these valuable lessons that they need to learn about how to channel their emotions, but we have to make sure that we're doing the work on ourselves too. Um, and, you know, having our antenna up when we're in the world with our friends and family, when we hear people saying, you know, but if only you could say this in a calmer way, um, then I could listen to you. You know, no, that's not okay. Um, because, you know, a black woman who's experienced racism can talk about that anger however she wants to. And, you know, so and I, I know that a lot of people, and especially a lot of white people, have a hard time um, understanding those messages when they hear hostility in it. But that's on us. That's our problem. Um, that's something, that's work that we need to do on ourselves to be able to still hear the message when it's enveloped in anger and continue to listen. Um, so when we continue to do that work on ourselves, then we can pass along those lessons to our children too. Yeah. Um, and it's about, um, as uh, allies, how, and, you know, and I think this is about white people being allies to black, indigenous and people of colour, but it's also about um, men being allies to women. It's if you're only hearing the message when it's packaged palatably to you, mm -hmm. then you're not really then you're not really being an ally, are you? If you're being an ally when it's presented conveniently for you mm -hmm. and when it feels like safe and nice for you, um, mm -hmm. 
then you're not really being an ally, are you? Absolutely. That came up for me so many times. Um, Last fall here in the U.S., uh, you know, we had a Supreme Court justice or candidate, you know, who was up for confirmation hearings, Brett Kavanaugh. And during that, Dr. Uh, Christine Blasey Ford testified about her experience. And everyone afterward kept remarking on how amazingly composed and credible she was and believable because she's a smart, white, educated, privileged, thin woman who was put together well and was pleasing to the eye. And so everyone who said to me afterwards, well, she was so credible. How could you not, you know, how could anyone not believe her? I would say that actually doesn't matter because what if she were a fat black queer woman who was having a hard time putting together her story in chronological order because of the trauma she experienced? Um, Then would we perceive her as credible? Why does it matter? If she had presented any kind of emotion or anger in that, uh, if she had presented any kind of anger or stumbled on her words or that kind Mm -hmm. of thing, there were people lining up to discredit her. Exactly. She had to be so amazingly calm, more so, you know, than our president or anyone you've ever seen in order to be believable. And that's just simply not acceptable. Yeah. And in that, um, in that moment, it was also, it was kind of like she was almost representative of every woman who's ever made some kind of allegation like this. It was because there are people that will just say, well, she's just lying. She's just lying. Um, Right. And and then, you know, we looked at, um, he was then Judge Kavanaugh, who was um, at times acting incredibly disrespectfully to Supreme Court justices. And he's a member of the bar and a judge. And, you know, I'm a lawyer by training. And I kept saying to my husband, like, I can't even imagine acting this way um, toward, or I guess it was to Congress, it wasn't to the Supreme Court. But anyway, um, you know, being a member of the bar and acting so incredibly disrespectfully um, to our elected officials in Congress, um, but people were much more, his, his anger was okay, because his reputation was being attacked, and his credibility was being attacked. And so it was okay for him to throw a temper tantrum in the middle of Congress. But Lazy Ford had to be ridiculously calm and composed. Um, you know, so we see sort of this living adult proof of the lessons we're teaching our kids, right? Yeah. And he would never have been told to calm down. This is this other phrase that I really, really yeah. hate. Calm down. Calm oh. down. Calm yeah. down. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Has that ever worked? In the history of a man telling a woman to calm down, has that ever worked? No. <laughs> And exactly. I'll never say to my daughter having uh, a big emotion, I'll never say calm down because you're immediately mm-hmm. discrediting, discrediting that emotion there. And you're in bed. And boys never get told to calm down. Boys mm-hmm. don't get told to be quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, we're pushing girls into this, we're pushing girls down and down and down and mm-hmm. into this box of this, the nice box. All yep. the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, 
And we're telling boys not to, you know, not to cry and not to have, not to experience feelings, you know, so we're robbing boys of these big emotions too, that there are so natural to be expressed at this age. Um, and so we're telling them, yeah, not to have emotions. And by saying, you're fine, you're okay. Um, we're taking that, that sadness or that hurt away from them. And I, you know, I laugh about this to my husband too. Like I say, if I bumped my knee on the table and you said to me, you're fine, I'd be pissed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, don't tell me I'm fine. That hurt. So I made a conscious effort not to say that to my kid. Um, because, you know, we like, as parents, we want to gloss over these big emotions. And, we, and we, we think that telling them that they're okay and, oh, to get back up on your feet is going to sort of make them tougher. Um, but really all it's doing is teaching them to mask their emotions. Yeah, definitely. So I think that, you know, we've spoken about some really good ways of things inside the home. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, does your, so your daughter goes to like a daycare or a nursery or something like that? Yeah, she's at a daycare a few times a week. Yeah, um, and I'm wondering what... I've got a blog post coming up about this, actually. I'm wondering what your interaction in terms of your values mm. and your parenting, and I'm wondering mm-hmm. about your interaction with your daughter's daycare so mm-hmm. far. How have, you, yeah. how have you created that so far? Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, it has not been without its challenges, and um, you know, I didn't really start to notice them until about the age of two because that's where – suddenly they're no longer babies as much and they're doing more dress up play and things like that. So uh, one area that frustrated me very much was um, these uh, sort of the complimenting. So I would bring my daughter into class every day and pretty much no matter what she was wearing, the lovely, well-meaning, kind-hearted teacher who I love so much would say, you know, I love, I love your dress or, oh, look at that cute dolphin on your shirt. You know, no matter what it was, even she wears clothes, um, lots of hand-me-downs from friends and cousins, both girl and boy. And so, you know, she has this light blue and dark blue whale sweater that um, her, you know, teachers say, oh, that's so pretty. Meanwhile, it's a boy sweater and they would never call a boy pretty, but um It seems harmless on the outside, but what it did, uh, what I saw were the very tangible results that when she was getting dressed in the morning, she said, oh, I wonder if, you know, Miss Maria, I'm giving her a different name. I wonder if Miss Maria will like my shirt today. And it just hit me because I do not want her, um, putting on clothes for somebody else's value and praise and judgments. My I want her getting dressed for herself. Yeah. My daughter said to me this morning, do I look pretty? Yeah. It kills me. It kills me. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what I said. I was just like, pretty awesome. Or something yeah. like that. <laughs> Good for you. I love that. I know. And it's, you know, I I think adults just don't realize it half the time. Um, They think it's a compliment. 
your kid with your with her daycare yet? Yeah, so she actually doesn't have this teacher anymore, but there was one, you know, I let it go several times um, because, as I said, she was such a lovely teacher um, that it sort of felt small in relation to all the other wonderful things she was doing. But after a while, I said, you know, after she expressed those interests in what the teacher would think of her outfit that day, I said, okay, this is going too far. So um, during the next compliment, I said, oh, you know, we've actually, to the teacher, I said, we've actually been trying to focus much more on personality lately. I've been teaching, you know, my kiddo about what personality means and traits. So, you know, we're trying to focus on those instead of what we look like. Um, So in that way, you know, I was keeping it sort of positive centered instead of saying, I really don't like what you're doing. Um, I was trying to just shift the dialogue in a, in a, slightly different way so that she would understand the values that we're trying to teach her. Um, so it got better, but you know, I see this with, um, so many adults and when we dig for those messages a little bit more, because we're not telling boys that they're pretty, we're just not. Um, and I hear from a lot of parents and grandparents and others, well, I just, you know, I want to make sure that my kids, you know, feel beautiful. Um, but, you know, again, like, so why is that? We don't have this deep desire to make our boys feel beautiful. So why do we want our girls to feel beautiful? We have these, you know, deeply ingrained ideas that as women, we're supposed to be beautiful and we're supposed to feel pretty. Um, But it's okay if we don't, we don't have to feel pretty and beautiful all the time. We're not, we're not here as decoration. Exactly. We're not here to please other people. We're not here to look cute. We're here to get stuff done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Do you actually, curse on your uh, podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly. Um, actually, this is some. This is kind of a um, little anecdote that I have told to a few people. It feels weird to put it out into the wide world, but I, I mm. know that there's very a high chance that this person will listen to the podcast. So I'm going to anyway. Somebody in my close circle, in my immediate family, uh, I got a new pair of sunglasses and um, he said to me in this conversation, I, I don't like your sunglasses. And I said, I said, okay. And then later on, <laughs> again he said I really I don't I don't like those new sunglasses I was just like okay I don't care (laughs) third time he said to me I just I just don't like those sunglasses and I said I don't care I don't care if you don't like my sunglasses right and then the conversation just like stopped it was just like well that was rude and I was like (laughs) no you've just told me three times don't like my sunglasses it wasn't rude for me to say I don't care if you don't like I don't care right I Um, I heard you it's not going to change what I'm wearing it's almost hilarious if it wasn't so this ingrained problematic thing Mm -hmm. inside where we have to look good and we have to be on show all the time so it's really um, comforting to hear that you know we've got children the same age kind of going through the same things and that she's been asking you the same questions that on the other side of the world mine is asking me too um (laughs) absolutely 
um, it's comforting to hear, um, not that they're both experiencing this, but that we're both experiencing this and working out a way to get through it together. So thank you. <laughs> oh, of course, Kate. Thanks for having me on. Um, and apart from blog posts, you also have a feminist parent resource library with lots of other yes. things in there. So I was wondering if you could please tell us a bit about that. Oh, yes, absolutely. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, if, um, if you are interested in our feminist parenting resource library, um, you can head on over to thinkerblue.com slash resources. And um, it has some, you know, free goodies in there for you about uh, gender 101, uh, 13 ways to raise a feminist, um, 12 ways to raise respectful boys. It's a mix of, you know, videos and uh, sort of, you know, printable checklists and that type of thing. Um, and, uh, you know, a series about raising confident girls. So yeah, people can absolutely head over there and grab it. Awesome. And thank you very much. What else have you got coming up on Think or Blue? I love the name as well. Oh, um, actually, a tagline that I read somewhere, which was, for you pink or blue, let's think or blue. Yeah. And I love um, So what else have you got coming up? Yeah. Um, well, thanks for asking. So one, I have to say, of course, before I go, that um, Feminist February, it might be a little later than February when people are hearing this, but Feminist February has been so fun, which I hope all of your listeners, I'm sure, already know, which you um, did with Mother of Snot and um, Feminism is for Boys. It was just so fun to have all those prompts um, throughout the month and hear, you know, where other Instagrammers are on, um, on uh, you know, their own feminism and how they put that out into the world. So I wanted to say thank you so much for that. That's been really fun. Um, thank you for joining in. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I have really enjoyed it, but I think you know I look forward to it being bigger and better next year. <laughs> yes, awesome. And um, no, it's it's been so awesome. I loved it. And as you know, I went a little overboard with uh, uh, you know, women in business. I just can't help it. There's so many I love. Um, <laughs> and in terms of what's coming next, I'm actually um, working on a, a project right now that I hope to release um, later this spring about. Uh, a body image and the way we can role model that for our children. Um, and I know you've talked about this on your podcast before, which is so amazing. Um, you know, we have as, as parents and as women, especially we have all these very like just, you know, deep influences and messages we've been hearing all our lives. And we all need to take a moment to just like break them down and reflect a little bit. Uh, before we can be the true role models that we want to be for our kids. So that's something I'm really excited about too. So that was Catherine from Think or Blue. You can find links to her website and everything that we talked about in the show notes. I'll be back on Wednesday the 13th of March 2019. Until then, if you're in Melbourne, Australia and interested in coming along to the inaugural Future Feminist Kids Club on Saturday, March the 9th, don't forget to book your ticket. Really looking forward to seeing you all there and, of course, on Instagram. Bye.